Word, I'm gonna say the word. In the beginning was the word. What? Word. 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 Was the word. From the studios of KJZZ in Phoenix, Arizona, welcome to Word, a podcast about literature in Arizona and the region. Here's your host, Tom Maxidon. Coming up on this season eight ender of Word, we go on a show bender with highlights from every season spanning the entire run of show, which started in October of 2016. The show actually began on an island in the sun. Want to hear the whole story? Well, get your popcorn memes ready. As we prepare to jump forward into 2023, we're going to listen back through the archive of Word, around a digital campfire, so to speak, which we hope you'll find quite cozy this time of year. For those who don't know, the show launched at KPRG Public Radio Guam, the U.S. territory in the Western Pacific where America's Day begins. It was actually my first foray into public media broadcasting, I'd worked for several commercial media operations and stints over the prior 25 years in both print and broadcasting. But in 2016, my dream of working in public radio finally came true when KPRG General Manager Christopher Hardig hired me as a part-time morning news anchor. In my stint there, I eventually developed two broadcast programs, produced a third, and became news director. One of those programs was Word. And here's a cell phone recorded radio capture of the opening to the first episode. Welcome to Word on 89.3 KPRG and KPRGFM.com. Public radio for Guam. I'm Tom Maxidon. Today on this inaugural program, we're talking Kerouac. Jack Kerouac, that is, who unfortunately passed away much too soon in the month of October. And so that's why we wanted to devote this program to Kerouac. In the loneliness of my life, my father dead, my brother dead, my mother far away, my sister and my wife far away, nothing here but my own tragic hands that once were guarded by a world, a sweet attention. Fast forward to 2017, I left my adopted familia on Guam and moved from an island surrounded by ocean to a region surrounded by a desert to be closer than 22 hours by plane via four to five airports just to visit my mainland fam. When I made the jump from the small island to the vast Phoenix metro region, they remarked, you must like extremes. And with the recognition that news and entertainment programming was ever-changing to an on-demand model, it became integral to our organization at KJZZ to deliver news and entertainment programming via multiple digital platforms. So I threw my hat in the ring to revivify Word. We launched the redux of the show in Phoenix in February of 2019 with the first haiku writing contest in honor of National Haiku Writing Month, which was created by Michael Dillon Welch. Here at KJZZ, word began with just one guest per episode until we could build a block of contacts like Tomas Stanton. He's a Valley spoken word artist, educator, and co-creator of Phonetic Spit, which builds literacy and communication skills for kids in the region. Here's a snippet of our convo from the second episode of the first season, which included discussion about haiku. It's difficult, I think even more so in this day and age. I think with technology and the advancements and things like social media and um, YouTube, and it's very difficult, I think, to get young folks to read. I think it's difficult to get anybody to read. But the thing is, is the hook is 
and this is what we've learned, is that we kind of appeal to humans' desire to want to tell their story. I think everyone has a desire to be heard and to be understood. And so we appeal through this, okay, you're going to tell your story. But in order to get really good at telling your story, eventually you're going to have to start reading and studying and deconstructing other people's stories, right? And so once they get excited about it, and then generally that excitement leads them to want to get better, and then we say, okay, well, for every poem you write, a rule of thumb is that you have to read five poems, right? And so you just develop this practice, but you do it in a kind of a backwards way instead of just saying, you need to write or read five poems to write a poem. We go in and we say, look, just tell your story. Write the poem, write the poem, write the poem. And eventually they get excited and then you introduce this this practice. Well, that's just exactly what we want to do. We want you to write the poem, write the poem, write the poem. In fact, all month here on KJZZ, we are focusing on the art of haiku. In this particular program, if you go to the website word.kjzz.org, you can find our contest rules. Uh, we want you to be thinking about Arizona, which I, th- I think is pretty natural. Is there a haiku that comes to mind? That you yeah. Think of? One day I was sitting out on the porch um, during monsoon season with my dog, who I love. It was very meditative. It was a, it was a monsoon had just kind of finished. And uh, so I wrote a poem, obviously, in Arizona. We are uh, very fortunate to enjoy the monsoon season. So this is a haiku uh, about monsoons. Suffocated sun, slanted downpour thunderclaps, liquefied sidewalks. Nice. I mean, you can <laughs> see and hear all of that as, as if somebody else was actually sitting on their front porch. That's awesome. Thank you. Um, I'll return the favor. This is one that I, I came up with uh, about Arizona. Coppered plain between curtain rod and window frame, western light sandwich. <laughs> nice. I love it. And so I'm thinking about, though, that would be so hard to perform, I think, in any other space. You know, that. how long did that take me to recite that? 15 seconds? 15 right? seconds at best, yeah. <laughs> Unless, of course, it was, you know, a, a haiku death match. You know, I think yeah. you have to create a space that is specifically for haikus. If you go to a storytelling event where folks are expecting more lengthy stories and you just read off a bunch of haikus... Um, then it might be a little awkward, but I'm also uh, a big fan of creating awkward spaces sometimes. <laughs> so, you know, I have five minute time limit and I'm going to do 50 haikus. <laughs> right. In our first attempt at a haiku writing contest, we received hundreds of submissions and the annual contest is still going strong. It'll kick off season nine of Word this coming February. But as we continue to rewind our archive, Season 2 brought a noticeable uptick in content and guests, and in September of 2019, we took a field trip to Kyrene Middle School, where budding young writers from the Valley got the skinny on how Arizona authors bring their works to market. Here's a throwback to some of our time on a fall Saturday afternoon at the school. I'm Morgan. What did you enjoy the most about today's sessions? I don't know. I really liked all of it. Um, It's fun to work with writing outside of school. Tell me about that because it's different often, right? In a workshop like this, it's more creative. Do you like that type of writing better? Yeah, I I like it a lot more than like essay stuff. 
Um, creative writing is really fun. Why is it more fun than essays? I feel like it's um, <laughs> it's it's less structured. It's like I don't know. It's just more fun. Do you feel like it's maybe less stressful too? Yeah, definitely. Because you get to use your imagination. Yeah. I'm Layla Fascio and I'm in sixth grade. What I liked about the techniques was like the music one where we would just listen to music and then just try to find the inspiration of what the music kind of stands for and what we would like write about. Do you find that when you listen to music in general, not that you're trying to write, do you find that it might take you to a sort of a different place than where you are? Yeah, sometimes certain songs will, even though if I don't know them, but certain songs will do that to me. And so you think maybe that some kind of connection to the writing that you did today, that you took yourself in a different place because of this music? Yes, because I had a lot of different examples of where I would like be and like what settings they are. My name is Liliana Pearson. I am in eighth grade. And what did you like about one of the sessions? Uh, tell me one of your favorite things. Um, I really liked being in uh, Sharon Skinner's session because I like diving into the characters' personalities and really getting to know my characters. What was it about that session that gave you an idea about how you might approach characterization in the future? Um, it helped me really understand what my character wants in their lives and what their conflicts are. So I really got to understand them. And was it because of that really long checklist that she had with what seemed like a thousand questions on it? Uh, yeah, I mean, it didn't really seem like that much. I thought it was pretty fun, actually. My name is Joaquin Brown. I am a sixth grader. And have you been writing for a long time? Uh, my mom told me that I've probably been writing ever since day one. Wow. Have you kept journals uh, or just create stories off the top of your head? I've created a few stories before, and I sometimes write in a journal, although I haven't really been doing that lately, which I think I might be doing that again sometime. What do you like about writing? Writing is just like you can express your thoughts and create stories and like books and stuff. My name is Jonathan Hoops, and I'm in seventh grade. My favorite experience is how they told us the different types of artists. Like, Jeff has different genres that he does, and that's something that, like, is not very great for some readers or authors, but he does it pretty well. What types of genres are you interested in? I'm interested in many different ones, like some fantasy, comedy, and some action, and some sci-fi. You're listening to a holiday special retrospective of Word. It's a KJZZ podcast about literature in Arizona and the region. I'm Tom Maxidon. Whether your business is new or deeply rooted, large or small, you can share what's great about it while supporting a vital community service, KJZZ. It's a fact that listeners trust and support companies that sponsor KJZZ. And by becoming a sponsor, you build a stronger connection to everyone in your community. Get connected today at SponsorKJZZ.org. Did you know that KJZZ's Spot 127 Youth Media Center is a qualifying charitable tax organization? Your Arizona State tax credit could support high school students in learning digital media and journalism skills. More information at taxcredit.spot127.org. You have your favorites. Oh, man, my favorite mug. And maybe it's about time to treat yourself to a new favorite. Mugs and t-shirts for you and the family are at shop.kjzz.org. So what are you waiting for? Welcome back to Word. I'm Tom Maxidon. 
Thanks for listening to this season ender bender we're calling Fest of Us by celebrating our longevity at this point with an eye on the future. Season 3 began in February 2020, and as we progressed through spring, we celebrated Asian American Pacific Islander Month in May. That's where we caught up with Sharon Suzuki Martinez, a valley writer and poet of Okinawan descent who grew up living in Hawaii for many years before coming to Arizona after developing a curiosity about the Southwest when she read the work of Leslie Marmon Silco, a female Laguna Pueblo Indian writer. The COVID pandemic was beginning to surge, and it marked a drastic change in how we communicated with guests via teleconferencing software in lieu of studio appearances. Here's an excerpt of that discussion with Suzuki Martinez. I've been here in Arizona for a long time. I've traveled around the United States with my husband, but we've come back here to live. And I'm really happy about that. And Tempe, where I'm living, is part of the traditional homeland of the Akima Otham. And um, my my husband is also um, Akima Otham, and he's a member of the Gila River Indian community that's just on the outskirts of Phoenix right now. But the homeland um, encompasses the entire valley, and so it just feels good for us to be here. And I, I feel very comfortable and accepted here. One of the reasons why we wanted to talk to you is because it is Asian and Pacific Islander American Heritage Month. And just doing some research, I didn't realize how far back the proclamation for this went, back to 1978 when Jimmy Carter signed a joint resolution. And apparently the reason why May was chosen was because May 7th, 1843, was when the first Japanese immigrant uh, arrived in the United States. Like you, I lived in the Pacific not quite as long, but I lived in the Western Pacific in Guam. And one of the things that I sort of miss is the ocean being here surrounded by a desert. And some people have said, like, gosh, you must like extremes. You've lived surrounded by an ocean and now you're surrounded by a desert. And I I wonder, do you ever miss Hawaii in that regard? Oh, yeah, of course. (laughs) Yeah, I think about it a lot and and dream about it. Um, being back in Hawaii. But I think of being in the desert as kind of being in a ghost ocean. <laughs> wow, I mean, this, that's an interesting this, description. This area used to be all underwater. It was un- under the ocean. Yeah, I mean, yeah, look at the sand and all. And so sometimes I feel like I can feel echoes of that. Wow, what a lovely sentiment. What are you working on these days, and how is what we're all going through right now affecting your writing? Because I think it's doing something to all of us. Some of those are shared experiences, but others are working their way through this in a different way. For me, the pandemic has affected me, and it's been very distracting. You feel a lot of emotion. I've certainly felt a lot of raw emotion, fear and anger, um, grief. And it is pretty overwhelming atmosphere to write in. But I make myself write. And um, even if it's just journal entries of ranting (laughs) or descriptions of people I see or birds or bugs in the yard to remember. And this horrible time must be remembered. As the summer ensued and the pandemic raged, we went on our usual summer sabbatical before launching Season 4 in the fall of 2020. Our audience seemed to appreciate making the show work 
as they endured lockdowns, social isolation, and tried to find silver linings amongst the daily reports of hospitalizations and deaths. But also the promise in the efficacy of masking up and vaccines. We closed out the season with the show's first big get, NPR's Weekend Edition host Scott Simon, who took our show into an interesting topical shift with a discussion of whether an essay, which he's known for writing, is indeed an art form. Here's a flashback to that episode. I think most English speakers think of essay as a noun. You know, it's a thing that they had to do in high school or college, obviously, if they don't make their living in writing, for instance. But in fact, the word does come from the French verb, essayer, to try. And you've outlined what you try to accomplish when you set out to write something. The writing, not just for your essay, just the writing around the entire show is just brilliant. And it really keeps people coming back to public radio on the weekends. This particular program, Word, focuses on the literary arts, and I think sometimes people do not necessarily consider an essay as an art form. What makes a good essay, in your estimation? What makes it maybe artistic, if you even agree with that? Oh, sure. And I, I think I think essays can be artistic. And I mean, I think there are several things. Firstly, is a, if it can reach into people, if it can affect people somehow, move them, make them think. I also, you know, I, I think the language has to be chosen carefully and has to communicate. You write for the ear. I, I, we're in obviously a spoken medium, but it's interesting when you, uh, you, you can read many essays and many of them, in fact, in, seem to be written for the ear, uh, avoiding the use of gerunds, ing words, declarative sentences with the exception of ones when you need to make uh, another point, conversational, something that has a, a, a quality of lucidity about it, something that that takes a situation and makes you see it perhaps in a slightly different way, something that can uh, affect the viewpoint that uh, that somebody has. You know, I'm not trying to change anyone to my points of view, and often I don't have a point of view in that I don't. I don't think I have some kind of resolution to to a problem that I raise. Right. Um, but I do think that it's and and part of what we ought to be doing in in journalism anyway is to kind of bring people through a thinking process and uh, uh, help them take a look at what's going on in our world. And I think an essay can do that, and it can do that. Oh, whether we're talking about the. A terrible loss of life and other experiences during this pandemic or the experiences of a new season or some milestone in somebody's life or some minor story in the news that attracted attention and uh, and made you think it might deserve some sort of wider framework and uh, setting sometimes. I would like to get back to a time when, and I, I think so would we all, just not for my sake, when we can just be... Uh, a little more inane. <laughs> After a short break in January, we launched Season 5 in February, again with the KJZZ Haiku Writing Contest, which had definitely become a thing by this point. The winner was from Mesa. Arizona citrus, sagging mandarins, gently picked barehanded from my neighbor's tree. As we progressed through the season, our annual focus on National Poetry Month in April also did not disappoint. We were graced with the presence of Dr. Tamika Sanders, 
She's a poet, education consultant, professor, and owner of Savvy Pen, who schooled our audience on the ABCs of finding one's voice through the power of poetry that can change for better the narrative of what it means to be part of the American story. Dr. T, as she's affectionately known, also read her poem, Black Lives Matter. Black people have been walking, been walking, been walking, waiting for the time when they'd be seen as equals, waiting. Wait in the water, wait in the water, children, wait in the water. We've got to trouble the water. I say we've got to trouble the water. Well, the time came and went, but history, his story, forgot about us, forced us to take up the back seat for the sake of his story. But our story is hard to forget, for it is woven into the fabric of this country, bleeding through the star-spangled banner held up by the slaves who were forced to build this land but never be a part of it. Fighting to be loved, to be respected, to be heard, fighting to be rewritten back into textbooks. But what is America without blues, jazz, Miles Davis, Ma Rainey, Billie Holiday, or B.B. King? What is literature without Lorraine Hansberry's A Raisin in the Sun? Langston Hughes reminding us that I too sing America. Zora Neale Hurston's Their Eyes are watch were Watching God, not understanding how it feels to be colored me, colored in when it's popular, colored out when it's uncomfortable. As an attempt to erase America's tainted past, revising history, slavery, gone. Cesar Chavez, gone. Trail of Tears, gone. Therefore, no reparations or apologies are needed. But the remnants of these erased pasts bleeds through the crack, bleeds through the cracks, fogging up the rose-colored history painted neatly in our textbooks creating language that divides us like a physical barrier, pitting us against one another like chess. The first one to take the other pieces, leaving them destitute wins. Dear America, I'm sorry that you cannot see the beauty that color brings to, the ra to a rainbow or the red, white, and blue flag we so proudly wave. Color adds life. Color provides substance. Color cannot be ignored. We cannot be ignored. So I am done fighting to be heard, to be loved, to be respected. Done prostrating myself so you feel safe around me. Done tiptoeing around issues of race and inequality, pretending that all lives matter. Done letting your history define me as less likely to succeed. Today, I will tell my story on my terms in my voice, and I will show others how to do the same. Thank you. Stay with us as our holiday season ender and bender continues. Coming up, memoir, ghostwriting, and an icon of Arizona loom large. You're listening to a special edition of Word. It's a fest of us. I'm Tom Maxidon. Let's face it, sometimes we all need more variety in the day. You know, I think we need to do like 10,000 urban seed banks. We'd get freezers and we'd stock them full of seeds and then we'd teach people how to save them. Whether it's a new dinner option or fresh, diverse perspectives, KJZZ is your source for a variety of information and the number one news station in the Valley. Listen to KJZZ on air, online and on your phone. 
More than ever before, KJZZ depends on donations from listeners to fund all of the crucial resources behind every moment of our coverage. So please be generous now and become a member of KJZZ at KJZZ.org. You can get a lot of things delivered these days, and now that includes the latest Arizona news from KJZZ's Sun Up podcast. I'm Phil Latzman. Everything you need to know to start each day delivered to you in this handy little podcast Go to KJZZ.org or wherever you get your podcasts and download KJZZ's Sun Up today. Welcome back to Word. I'm Tom Maxidon. Thanks for spending some time around the digital campfire and listening to this retrospective of the entire run of show thus far as we feature highlights from past episodes. Season 6 began in early September 2021. And by now, yours truly and our guests had become Zoomified as the show was attracting a wider audience via the delivery of word on multiple digital platforms, including the NPR podcast feed. Thinking on that level, we expanded our genre base to welcome in more memoir and biography, like that of author Tom Vitale, who wrote an amazing book about the life of celebrated chef and writer Anthony Bourdain. Vitale was our second big get, but more importantly worked with Tony and his crew for a decade on about 100 TV episodes of his award-winning show. Wanderlust was the dominant theme of our mid-October offering. Here's a throwback Tuesday, because that's the day of the week when new pods drop. Tony was a great storyteller, but there was often food or alcohol involved, so I think it was not quite a traditional straight interview. Right. I guess, if anything, it was closer to the editorial page than straight journalism. You know, we were definitely talking to people and hearing their stories. As far as the news when it broke, I think it's undeniable that the manner of Tony's death shocked many. Uh, Personally, it hit me like a freight train for many reasons. And I didn't even know him, but you did. Was in the weeds, at least in part, an attempt for you to process not only his death, but how he lived life as well? Yeah, I think it was in a lot of ways. Not that I necessarily realized that at the time when I started writing it. I I think I kind of just didn't want the whole thing to be over. And in a weird way, it sort of kept it alive, writing the book. It really felt like um, when the pandemic raged on outside, it really kind of felt like I was still there in a certain way. What's one thing that you miss most about Tony, and how well did you know him offset? Well, we all spent a lot of time together over the years, Uh, Tony with the crew. I worked on... (sighs) about 100 episodes, and that was 80 different trips with him over um, a span of 12 years of traveling together. So I knew him pretty well, and I think I miss his sense of humor quite a bit. He was always so desperately and wickedly funny about everything, even if it was a tough or scary or uncomfortable spot we were in. He always made it very funny and a great sense of humor. Did he ever cook for you? He did uh, cook a few times for us. There was one time in Greece when he made this really big meal for the crew. But he definitely did not want to be somewhere and be on TV cooking any local cuisine that sort of wasn't his to cook in a certain way. He was very respectful that way. He said he'd leave the cooking to the experts. He liked to make a chicken salad you know, over the summer. He made that a few times. Simpler things like that at home. Right. And as far as the production process goes, what was sort of the prevailing mindset in terms of why we would want to go to a certain place and how much 
of a role did Tony play in setting the course for each show and for each, I don't want to say topic, but maybe each flavor? I mean, a, a huge role. All the places that we went were someplace that Tony wanted to go. That might have been somewhere he'd always wanted to go his whole life, or it might have been somewhere that he'd heard about at a cocktail party or on a previous episode that someone had recommended. So everywhere we went, he always had an interest in going. It was very much driven by him. We rolled on through the rest of 2021 with a bit of an abbreviated season due to surgery, but kept an eye on season seven. And if you guessed it began with KJZZ's haiku writing contest, winner, winner, chicken dinner. In addition to mainstays like discussion about essays, poetry, fiction, playwriting, and screenwriting during the season, we caught up with a prolific novelist who turned his talents into an even more lucrative career by ghostwriting. Sean Ellis has numerous novels to his own named credit, but he took an interesting and self-described fortuitous foray into ghostwriting. Here's a backtrack of our convo from Season 7, Episode 6, which dropped in May of this year. I realized pretty early on that I wasn't going to be able to get traction with my own work. I just didn't have it in me to be that much of a publicist and to just put in the work to try to market my stuff. But I could tell that in the traditional marketplace, brand names really sell books. You know, James Patterson, Tom Clancy, even Clive Cussler, kind of my personal literary hero, uh, they expand their brand because those brand names sell books. So I felt like I would have a better chance of making it successfully if I could attach myself to somebody who was more successful. Ghostwriting, I kind of fell into it through networking, but I was more interested in telling stories that uh, people would actually read than in stroking my ego by having my name on the book cover. <laughs> Who asks a ghostwriter to write? If you ever see a book written by a celebrity, it's almost a guarantee that it was written by a ghostwriter. Just to get my terminology right, in a ghostwriting agreement, there are there's an author, and that's the person whose name is on the cover, and then there's the writer, and that's what the contract stipulates. So if I say author, I'm talking about the person I'm writing for. But yeah, any celebrity author is almost certainly ghostwritten. In my case, my first ghostwriting job that came along, it was an author who was a special forces military veteran who had authored a series and they were looking for somebody to keep writing the series because the original author who did it had gone on to much commercial success. He's a bestseller in his own right now. So I can't tell names, of course, because that's part of the arrangement. Right. But, and um, through networking, my name was put out there. Uh, a literary agent that was representing a friend of mine contacted me and said, are you interested in doing this? And initially I was hesitant because I didn't feel like I was qualified to write that kind of a book. Um, I am a veteran, but I'm not a special horses veteran by any means. But when I heard how much it would pay, I said, well, I'm going to give this a try. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I was about to ask you if your experience as an army national guard person in Afghanistan played into that book and do you draw out the plots or is that something that's already given to you? Yeah, it's different in every arrangement. In that case, I was given a few points that they wanted to include in the story and uh, pretty much told to go to town and uh, come up with a story. And then, of course, there's back and forth between the author. Um, there have been some where I pretty much do it all. There's others where the author is very involved and there's lots of back and forth. Usually, though, uh, 
I come up with a lot of the story and they like it. So it's mutually beneficial. We hope you've been enjoying the warmth of this digital campfire and reminiscence of how word came to fruition and the show's staying power in its eighth season, which launched per usual in early September this year. It's been one filled with books about the jazz mafia scene, Billy the Kid, a transgender wildland firefighter, Kid Lit, dysfunctional families, and Arizona icon Linda Ronstadt. In October, she released her memoir, Feels Like Home, an amazing collection of stories, photos, and Sonoran staple recipes. We caught up with Ms. Ronstadt Thanksgiving week. I'm not a songwriter. <laughs> I only wrote one song I ever recorded. I'm an interpreter. When you say you're an interpreter, what do you mean by that? Well, I find a song that expresses my feelings about myself, kind of self-centered. <laughs> and then I, I try to learn as much as I can about the, the context the song originated from. And different ways to sing it, and then I sing it. Sometimes it's a swing and a miss, and sometimes it's a hit. It's hard to tell. You can't ever tell when you're doing it. Another thing that I love about this book is that it includes photos and family recipes for some amazing food. Again, along with music and writing, I kind of think of those as examples of permanence, and we pass these things along as part of human experience. Connection. It's part of a culture. The Sonoran Desert is a very distinct culture including the food. The food is not fancy. If you want fancy Mexican food, you have to go farther south. But it's meat and potatoes, the equivalent of meat and potatoes up here. It's beans and tortillas. And it's ranch food. You know, it's what they, the ranchers and farmers raised around there. Tomatoes, onions, a variety of chilies, and corn, and wheat. It was a wheat belt. It was the breadbasket of Mexico. The Sonora River Valley has rich alluvial soil. Chilies and Tomatoes and peppers and stuff that come out of there are particularly fragrant and particularly delicious. And they grew a type of wheat there that just makes better tortillas, makes better pie crust, has more flavor. Mexican wheat has different genetic properties that affect the flavor and the texture and the color of, of anything made with wheat. And they had really delicious wheat. And the Americans raised ones that had been genetically altered. So Mexican tortillas that are from Sonora, where it's a particular specialty, and um, can pat them out real big. They're as, as wide as your arm. They're like a steering wheel. They cook them outdoors on a fire, and so they have a little bit of smoke in them. And they're just delicious. It's like the difference between a good pie crust and a lousy pie crust. You can't learn to make those tortillas by reading my book. <laughs> you can learn what goes into them. And thus, we come to the end of another season of Word. We hope you've enjoyed this campfire edition and a long listen back to highlights from the entire run of show. Portions of this program have been nominated for Edward R. Murrow and Public Media Journalists Association Awards. It's largely made possible by the generous support from KJZZ members who give monthly sustaining contributions of 10, 20, or maybe even $50 per month to sustain the quality, non-biased news, information, and entertainment programming like Word that you've come to expect. If you're not already a sustaining member of Public Radio, please consider a gift of support in the amount that best fits your budget. You can go to kjzz.org and click on the Donate tab. Whatever is in your budget is the right amount. We'll be back with Season 9 and the annual KJZZ Haiku Running Contest in early February of 2023. 
For now, happy holidays and happy fest of us. I'm Tom Maxidon, and thanks so much for listening to Word. Word. Word? Word. Was the word. Thanks for listening to Word, a podcast about literature in Arizona and the region. You can find all episodes online at word.kjzz.org or wherever you get your podcasts.